Welcome to Golf Origin Stories from the Archives, Volume 1. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, that's Pink, Raise Your Glass, and uh, she's opening the show for a few reasons today. Uh, as I alluded to in the very, very beginning, uh, this is a clip show. It's my very first clip show. We're going to go back and listen to some previous uh, segments of a few episodes that I did back in 2020. Uh, and the other reason that, well, the first reason that I opened with that song is because it's awesome. And I haven't done a Guilty Pleasure song in a while, and uh, this is certainly one of them, although I will make no apologies about loving that song. It's so good. It's so good. And Pink is great, and that's the other reason why she's opening the show, is because she's just a badass woman. She really is. She's just awesome. And, you know, as we go into March, and it's Women's History Month, I thought we could go back and we could listen to some of the conversations I've had with other badass women. And so that's what this show is going to be. It's going to be three segments with three different women that I have talked to in the past that were kind enough to come on to this silly little show of mine and talk about all sorts of random things and their golf origin story. So first, the first voice you'll hear is that of Cassie Bausch. She is the uh, marketing manager and social media manager of a little company called Club Champion. I think we've all probably heard of that one. And uh, she's someone that I've met. I've met along the way here in my little uh, golf media journey. And we got to know each other really primarily on Twitter uh, when I was just starting to sort of venture into the golf Twitter world. And we became fast friends. And it was actually before she became uh, the marketing and social media manager at Club Champion. But I had her on to talk about part of that. But we also talked about some other things, including her love her unapologetic love of the WWE and how that sort of played a role and very similar kind of the way that she actually ended up falling in love with golf and why she loves golf and what she loves about golf so much. So that's my guest number one. Guest number two is a name that you may not be familiar with. It's Her name is Kathy Harbin and Kathy's been in the golf industry for a very long time. She's had a tremendous career, but she just recently, as of last year anyways, bought a golf course. She bought a actual golf course. And the thing I really admire, the real, the, real, the thing I really love about Kathy is, you know, a lot of us talk about growing the game and we want this game to succeed and we want everyone to get involved and love it as much as we love it. Kathy is doing it. Kathy, every day, Kathy is creating new golf origin stories with the golf course that she has purchased and renovated and made into this welcoming place. And it's such a great and inspiring story. And I, I really enjoyed my conversation with Kathy. So I wanted to share a little bit of that. And we don't get into her golf origin story so much, but that's because I really wanted to focus on the things that she has done and the things that she is currently doing, because it's just tremendous. And finally, the last guest of this episode is someone I think everyone, at least you'll recognize the name in the golf world. It's Diane Knox, Noxie, if you're pals with her. Uh, she's got a brother you may have heard of, but uh, she is, you know, she's part of the social media, the, the golf social media world, and she's done television and radio and all these different kinds of things. So we get into how she got into that, how she actually came over to the United States, and we have a really good time talking about her golf origin story. She's so much fun. She's so down to earth. And, uh, and her golf origin story is something, it was unexpected from my perspective. Um, I, I made some assumptions based on her brother and his success in golf, but it turned out it was a little different because she was a sibling 
of someone that was already obsessed with golf and seemed to be quite good at it at a young age. And so there's some, there's a downside to that, believe it or not. So anyways, let's kick things off with Cassie Bausch and talking about her unapologetic love of the WWE. On a personal level, you are a, an unapologetic WWE fan. Yes. Is that true? <laughs> facts, hard facts. So when did that, how, when, why? <laughs> all those things. So, funny enough, it's actually a similar origin story to golf. It was a complete accident. Um, <laughs> so uh, unlike golf, I actually did have some experience with the WWE world when I was younger. Um, so like seven, eight, nine, back when it was still the WWF. Sure. Okay. And, Cause everybody I hung out with on my block was, was a boy because there were, I was the only girl that lived in my town growing up in the, the Chicago suburbs. So I would go okay. over to people's houses and they would have, you know, ECW or whatever, like whatever was going on with wrestling, they would have it on TV and they would put mattresses down in their living room, <laughs> and, like suplex each other, which as an adult sounds like the worst parenting that I possibly <laughs> fathom. Um, so I, I had had, that kind of quote unquote introduction to it. But just as I moved on and started to hang out with women, that started to be a little less prevalent in my life. And uh, very recently, I, right around my like college years or whatever, I kind of started to get into um, UFC, specifically women's fighting um, because of the fitness element of it. Um, And Ronda Rousey was a obviously a massive deal um you know with for women's ufc hall of famer you know whatever and a couple years ago she's a a huge wrestling nerd just as a person um she ended up signing a contract with the wwe and one of my best friends um his name is josh he's like a diehard wrestling fan he has been his whole life and he kind of saw an opportunity to form another minion for the wrestling world <laughs> by by putting the Ronda Rousey, Rousey thing in front of me and being like, hey man, your your girl is joining the world. Like you should, yeah. you should watch and get into it. And I he took me um for those who don't know, I am also in the Chicagoland area, similar to Chris. Yeah. Um, they come to Chicago or the Chicagoland area frequently to film. Um for Yeah, some- they do like big events there. Like yeah. big events. Yeah. They do pay-per-views here, but they also do, um, you know, they have weekly shows and they do a lot of the weekly shows here. And um, Josh had tickets to some pay-per-view or whatever. And he was like, just come. I know you don't know anything about, you know, the current roster or whatever, but like, I have this ticket, just come. And literally like the moment the lights dropped and the first match happened, I was like, this is a thing that I'm going to be obsessed with. And no joke, Chris, I probably watch... This, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I probably watch four or five hours of wrestling a week. <laughs> I didn't even know that was, is it, is there that much on? So much wrestling. So <laughs> <laughs> Raw is three hours a week. That's every Monday. SmackDown's two hours every Friday. NXT's two hours every Wednesday. If you're not a WWE fan, they have like a new kind of competitor, sort of the fantasy golf league of the WWE, <laughs> if you will. Like the golf premier league yeah, of exactly. WWE. Yeah, that yeah. Is. yeah. Right. <laughs> they have um, AEW now, which is also two weeks every Wednesday. So like you could literally waste your entire life watching fake sports. <laughs> It's amazing. Oh my God. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. I, but I, you know, I just love how much you embrace it and you don't care. Not like, even yeah, Yep. Not even a little tiny bit. That's so great. Like, and it's so random. Like every once in a while you'll post something just like, oh there, yeah, there's Cassie talking about wrestling. Yeah, like it's not like, it's so normal now. It's not even a big deal. Like, oh yeah. I actually started a wrestling Twitter because I, I realized that I was bothering you guys because, because my Twitter, so at Golf Bandwagoner, obviously it's about golf. Like that was the whole premise and everything. And occasionally I would post about these wrestling events and I'd get like a single like. And it was from like, it was from like Sean Deal, who's also a huge WWE fan and also yeah. a golf fan. And it was like, okay, these people are not into this vibe. I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, my husband doesn't think so, but thank you. I appreciate your support. <laughs> does he just, does he kind of just roll his eyes at it or what? It's, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't like, you know, gotten into it. It's like around him so much. He's, it's funny you say that because that's end, how I ended up in golf, but he's kind of resigned himself to a, the life. He's like a wrestling widower. Like if he doesn't <laughs> want to watch wrestling. He has to find another room in the house to go do something else because it's on. Oh my God. Do you, are you, do you like yell at the television? All the time. Like- Constantly. <laughs> Constantly. And then, and, and like, of course, you know, the great kayfabe, which is what it's called if you're believing the storyline or whatever, you know, as just a functional, intelligent human being that it's scripted, everything right. is planned, you know, not the injuries and stuff like that. Cause obviously these are real athletes, but yeah. you know, the storylines are fake. And like, <laughs> even knowing that in the back of my mind, I get so invested in the storytelling because it's basically a soap opera, but first for dudes kind of, yeah. it's, um, like a, it's a soap opera with punching. Correct. That's a hundred percent what it is. It's a soap opera with spears and suplexes. Like a hundred percent what it is. And you get, so invested and especially in the world today where you know you have twitter and you have youtube and you have podcasts and you have the ability to interface with these quote-unquote characters or celebrities in a much deeper way than you did before like you actually start to sort of care about these like people even though you know this isn't actually who they are but it's like i get so upset and i like i'll start screaming things when they do a two count and kick out i'm like come on ref (laughs) you know it's it's atrocious but i love it that's interesting though because it they it's i god i hadn't even thought about that like so you get invested in the character but then on the other side of it, you kind of learn about like on Twitter or through social, or whatever, you kind of learn who they are like in real life. Yes, exactly. Like, and that was never something that was like back in the day, you know, Hulk Hogan was Hulk Hogan and right. Macho Man was Macho Man. Like there was no other, like that's who they were all the time to us because that's mm-hmm. the only time you'd see them. And they, and WWE is one of those companies, I guess you could, you know, their sports entertainment, that's kind of what they consider themselves. They do such a good job of making sure that that character is so ingrained in that person, not the other way around. (laughs) Right, right. When you see them out in public, it's still quote unquote kayfabe. And, you know, if if Becky Lynch, who's a really popular female wrestler, goes to a, a basketball game and she you know, somebody notices her and she's technically a celebrity. She cuts a promo in character. And like this girl is wow. just at a basketball game, like enjoying yeah. sports, you know? Yeah. It's, they've done such a good job of making sure that, you know, this translates outside the ring. And like Undertaker is, you know, he's been around since I was watching wrestling the first time and he's still yeah. you see him on the street and like, you know, they run their thumb across their throat because that's the thing that he does. Right. And, you know, like it's crazy. <laughs> it's this weird cult thing and I'm fully invested. <laughs> so let's get to the origin story. When did golf, when did you find golf? When did golf find you? I I feel like my origin story is just such a fluke compared to everybody else's <laughs> because it, it truly everything from my the inception of my interest in the golf world all the way through even the job at Club Champion I feel like was a complete accident. Um, I've I had no experience with golf when I was younger. Um, no one in my family plays. I'm not even sure my dad's ever even like been to a golf course. Wow. So I don't have the familial connection. You know, a lot of people tell their story and they're like, "Oh, my dad took me every Sunday," and it's the sure. same. No, none of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it wasn't even until after college that I, you know, even stepped foot on a golf course for any reason other than the fact that like my prom was hosted at a golf course. <laughs> You know, so like I had no scope of anything, you know, and um, I, I that's not to say that I had any measurable distaste for the sport, whereas I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I hate it. It's boring. It's like, no, yeah. I didn't have an opinion, like nothing. Yeah. Um, and I started hanging out with with this guy. Um, he was a friend of mine and he was like capital O obsessed <laughs> with with golf and it's every element of it. So equipment. Uh, you know, playing golf like himself, watching the PGA Tour, um, watching LPGA, watching Champions Tour, watching everything that he could digest that was golf related. You know, he and his dad went out every weekend. He was at the range four times a week. It, it was 
again, capital O obsessed. And it became almost self-preservation in a way for me to kind of force myself to develop an interest in at least the pro side of it, because it was all he was ever talking about. It was all he's ever interested in. And it's like, if I want to be a part of your life in any significant way, I have to just buckle down and right. (laughs) Um, Right. And and so it it was kind of a slow start at first, because like I said, I had really no frame of reference, even just for watching like PGA tour events, because having never played the sport myself, it's not like basketball or football or baseball or these sports that like you played in, in high school in like gym where you kind of understand the mechanics of it. Yeah. Not like that. Like if you've never been golfing aside from like putt putt at like haunted trails, like you have no idea. (laughs) No, I remember. So I'm like, I'm kind of the same way. Like I came to the game late too, but I did watch it before I started playing. And mm-hmm. now that I look back, like I had no idea how good a good shot was right. until I played it. And I was like, oh my God, this game's so hard. That's what I'm saying. Like when you're, when you watch pro, really any pro sports, but the best example is like when you watch an NBA player make a free throw, you're like, yeah, that's literally your job. Right. When you watch like a, a pure like draw like 300 yard drive right down the middle. It's like, yeah, that's your job. No, that doesn't happen every time. (laughs) You know, it's so like you have so much more appreciation for it when you've actually gone out and tried to do those things yourself and failed, failed miserably at doing it yourself. Um, So one, the, the day that I kind of think of as my quote unquote entrance into the golf world is I want to say he was watching the masters because I remember it being a really big deal and me being sort of annoyed that this was like day three of watching the same people do the same thing. I I sat down and was watching and something happened. I I don't remember the exact thing, but it probably like a rules infraction or something where the announcers were kind of heavily debating something. And I, again, having no frame of reference, I was like, okay, what's going on? What are they talking about? And he kind of walked me through whatever it was. And he's like, this is why they do this. And this is why they do that. And the more we conversed about it and the more complexities that he kind of helped explain to me and that I was seeing play out in real life by these athletes, it, it did genuinely become more interesting to me um, on that level. So it, it became something that I could watch for enjoyment in the same way that yeah. people, you know, you watch the NFL every Sunday, but that doesn't mean you necessarily go out and play tackle football. <laughs> like yeah. you watch it for enjoyment. And so it very quickly became something that I was able to ingest and enjoy. And then it did not hurt that on that same evening when we were sitting there and watching what I'm guessing was like the Saturday of, of the masters that year, Ricky Fowler, Roll across the screen, <laughs> and so your so my your your Ricky Fowler is my wife's Adam Scott. Oh, I mean everybody's Adam Scott, <laughs> and the accent doesn't hurt either. Right. So, um, I think we all have like like everybody kind of has whether it's a favorite because they're attractive or because they're funny or whatever. Like we kind of all have that one person that we attach to, and for me, it was Ricky Fowler, and this was still because I've this was maybe seven, six, seven years ago that this happened. Um, he was still kind of in the like Justin Bieber hair phase where he had like the flat brim caps and he was wearing like orange from head to toe. Um, and he had the like crazy hair with the dumb mustache. So this was a different era for Ricky in terms of fashion. But the thing that kind of caught my eye with it is he was, he's, he's sponsored by Puma and me as a person, I, my favorite like shoe company, is Puma. So it was something that was completely outside of the golf world that had nothing in my mind, had no association with golf, but it resonated with me because I already like had an, a relationship with that brand. So I saw this guy and he was like cute and he was loud and he was young and it was something different than the like quote unquote stereotype. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't yeah, like an old right. dude with like a beard cut, you know? Right. Um, and so that kind of moved me too, you know? Um, and so we, he, the, the friend that I was hanging out with at the time, he took me to the driving range shortly thereafter. Once he realized that there was a seed of interest that he could maybe water a little bit. Right. Um, right. This guy, by the way, he's six foot six and he took me to the, I'm five, <laughs> three and a half. Oh he took me, to the range, <laughs> took me to the driving range and had me use his clubs. Come on. Not even a joke. <laughs> like, honestly, I think his driver might be as tall as me. <laughs> so I just, I just stepped real far back. Yeah. Right. 
Um, but it was just, it was the idea of like, okay, well, let's just get a club in her hand and see if she can even make contact with the ball. And the answer was, I could not. (laughs) Um, and I think that right there, you know, I I kind of already had the interest in the pro side of it. I was already interested in, in watching in the PGA tour and kind of that element. But the fact that even just making contact with the ball was so challenging for me. That was what made me interested in the sport, like for me playing it, because it was like, this is a challenge that I know I can overcome. I just have to focus on it and do it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of have that moment where it was like, this is hard and that's why I like it. Yeah. Um, that's, and so, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I was the same way. Like I was, a, I mean, I wasn't a great athlete by any means when I was younger, but you know, I played baseball. Sure. I, could hit, I could hit a ball and this one is just sitting there and I can't it's hit not it. Even flying at you. It's <laughs> right. Stupid, stupid ball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, so I don't even have that background. I was a theater kid to give you just any indication uh, of how <laughs> athletically disinclined I actually am. Man, you're a theater kid bowler. You're I, just. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like you could write like a teenage drama about me. Like it was bad, but <laughs> I was not an athletic person. Don't get me wrong. Like when you're in musical theater and whatnot, like dancing and singing is no. Oh, for sure. Have you seen athletes try to dance? It's I a have. disaster. I <laughs> absolutely have. It's, it's horrendous, but it's still right. it's cardio and you, you know, strength, whatever. But right. in terms of hand eye coordination, not a lot of that in theater. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but it, I didn't have that background and it became like I said, like a a hill that I wanted to traverse and come out the other side of. So I bought myself uh, a box set of clubs. It was like 13 clubs, crappy putter, bag, you know, whatever from like Dick's whatever. And it was obviously more well-suited for me than clubs out of a six foot six dude's bag. Yeah. (laughs) Still, still not custom fitted, which like, you know, hashtag better fit, lower scores. But it, it wasn't a custom fit set, but it definitely, it, it kind of gave me more of a feel of what I could potentially do. And even mm-hmm. to this day, I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, I don't consider myself a good golfer. I still consider myself like 60% interested in the sport from the professional level and 40% interested in playing it. But, okay. you know, I, I, I watch the PGA Tour like it's the NFL. You know, I can talk to you about what's going on in the players' lives usually. And, you know, I follow all those people on Twitter. Very similar to what we're talking about with the WWE. You get invested in their storylines as people, as humans, because you pick your favorites or your least favorites. And, you know, in WWE speak, you've got your faces and your heels. Sure. You know, Patrick Patrick Reed being a heel and people sure. like Smith being a face, you know. Right, right. You, you follow that and and rivalries make it more interesting and, and people coming from behind and winning make it more interesting. Tiger Woods winning the Masters, whether you like him or not, that Man. makes golf yeah. more interesting. And whether that translates to me going out and playing on a course is completely irrelevant. It, it, it helps bolster my love of the game from that element. And I definitely still go out and play. I still go to the range. But on the flip side of that, the joke is always, if you want to play less golf, get into the industry. That is, yeah. that might be the truest thing. Really? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And it's, it's different for our fitters because our fitters are just like the truest of true, like golf equipment nerds. And a lot of them have like PGA status and to keep status, you have to do certain things and whatever. Right. So if right. they have an off day, they're playing golf. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's like, I literally talk about golf, think about golf, tweet about golf, write about golf for 60 hours a week. And so when Sunday rolls around, it's like, dude, I'm going to sit here in my PJs and think <laughs> about like baseball or something. Right. Right. So it becomes, it, it, it's gotten a little bit harder for me to kind of like, you know, spur myself to go out and do it as frequently as it was before, but I'm still, you know, you're in the Chicagoland area, so you're in the same situation as me right now with shelter in place. And right. the moment we were told we couldn't go out, I was like, God, I really want to go to the range. <laughs> <Of> <laughs> it's course. all you want to do. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, but yeah, that's my story. I accidentally like backed my way into liking, you know, the PGA Tour, which then turned into becoming a golfer myself. And then um, that love of golf encouraged me to join Golf Chat every week, and which I ended up running Golf Chat for a little bit. And then- yeah started writing a golf blog. That golf blog was discovered by my now boss who reached out to me um, via LinkedIn and was like, hey, you want a job? Because I got one. 
No way. Yeah. So quite literally. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. You're like discovered. You're like an artist that was discovered. I, um, an artiste with my <laughs> my blog posts about yoga pants being acceptable. Yeah, that's me. That's right. That's right. Why so serious? So if you Okay, so that's Cassie Bausch. Huge fan of hers. She's doing amazing things over at Club Champion. Um, I will put her Twitter and Instagram handle down in the show notes if you want to follow her there. But you can also follow Club Champion because that's all of her stuff that she's doing. I also love that she just drops that little thing. Like I wrote this blog and I was kind of discovered no big deal, (laughs) but you know, that's kind of, that's Cassie. All right. Kathy Harbin's turn. I kind of gave you a little quick preview of our conversation. Um, We talk about much more than just, I mean, her, her golf words story, don't get me wrong, is a really good one. And, and again, she is so appreciative of all the help that she has gotten over the years. In fact, there there's, well, you just go back and listen to the episode. It's it's really really good. It's very the whole whole conversation is very inspiring. I really really do love what she is doing, what she has done. But we're gonna kick things off with the idea of why why do we want to do something? What's the point? And how that should be driving how we grow this game and why we want to grow this game and all the things that we do to make this goal, this game more approachable and more available to more people. I have to, before we get started on the Q&A, I just have to be, um, I have to kind of just let you know that you're, you're a bit intimidating to me. Yeah. Your, your, your golf resume is quite the thing. So you you're a, you're a PGA master professional. You're an yeah. LPGA professional. Yeah. You've had senior positions at Club Corp and the World Golf Foundation and World Golf Village. Like you've done some stuff, and yeah. now you're a golf course owner. So yeah. congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that because I'm very interested in that. You're my first golf course owner I've ever spoken to um, on the show, and so I have some questions around there. But you are you got my attention through. Um, an email I received around growing the game of golf. And it's, it's to me, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent proponent of that, of growing this game. Um, The difference between you and me is that I talk about it, but you're doing things about it. So, so just talk about a little bit, you you know, you asked this question of why are we doing this and everything sorts of sort of is born from that question, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, and we've, that's the question we should start any, any adventure with is why, why are we doing this? Why do we care about growing the game? Why do we try to bring new people to the game and introduce kids to the game? And, you know, that list is long, uh, of course, because <laughs> we have the, the, you know, I could go through the, uh, the, uh, golf 2020 website of the health benefits and the, uh, the character building contributions to the young folks and things like that. But uh, from my heart as a golf professional and as a golfer, I can just, I just see every day what it does to the lives of the people who are out there playing, the families that are out there playing and just uh, the pure joy, frankly, of uh, yeah. when we have a, a scramble tournament and, and the four guys that played together that had a couple of beers while they were out there and, um, and, and only shot two under when 15 <laughs> under won it and how much fun they still had. So it, it's just, there's just a great game on so many levels. And and you talk about kind of um, you've seen sort of how a golf course can affect a community in, in whole, right. And, and through your golf course, you've kind of expanded, you know, from your teaching and, and those sorts of things into kind of youth programs and stuff like that. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, one of the stories I like to tell about, uh, about my golf course, which is now I'm uh, starting my fourth year of ownership, I was hanging around the golf course quite a bit before I purchased it, before I closed on it. And literally, Chris, I did not see one junior and I did not see one female for months and months. Yeah. And um, that leads to a lot of opportunity, but also just uh, so many people missing out on on playing the game. And now I was out riding around the golf course um, on Saturday afternoon and and almost every single group, I can't say every single, but almost every single group had a female or junior in it. And um, it's just an environment you create 
so that they feel welcome. They feel they see someone that looks like them in these roles. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it, it, it does spill over into the community. We've seen some really neat things happen. The, the local Paris community, Paris, Texas, that I'm in now has a, has a downtown putting tournament where all the different businesses yeah. build a putting green throughout their their business and people walk around with their their putter and their golf ball and they and they compete in this downtown putting contest you know downtown of course they love the traffic and the business and and uh, it was all spun out of uh, this new exposure to golf that's so great so where do you think this passion for for growing the game is that something that was was kind of um, taught to you or was it just kind of inherent to your personality? Where did this sort of this drive come from to just kind of to, to you know, uh, just grow it and influence people and try to get people out to play? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Chris. I really believe that that it came out of um, the original Play Golf America efforts from the PGA of America. When, uh, when the PGA started coming up with uh, these ideas about how to get America playing golf and um, I was a young golf professional when that was happening and, and I latched onto some of these programs and, and, uh, once you start doing them and you may start doing them out of some kind of obligation or out of just being kind of a PGA person where you want to do the right thing. And, but mm-hmm. once you do a few of them, you're hooked. Once you see people enter the game for the very first time and see him having some success, honestly, Chris, I'm getting goosebumps just talking to you about it right now. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Um, and, and in my role, uh, at club corp, which you, you referenced vice president of golf, I had all these golf courses and golf professionals. And I had so many of them tell me that, you know, I went kicking and screaming into this get golf ready program that you told us all we had to do, but now it's my favorite program. Yeah. I'm watching these people enter the game and fall in love with the game and, and it changed their lives, you know, changes the quality of their life and changes what they do in their free time. And, um, so I think, Sometimes you need a little push to go into it, but once you enter into that world and you see the difference it makes, introducing people to golf, you're, you're hooked. Man, what a, just a rewarding thing to be able to experience. I mean, I, every once I've told a story a, a couple of times now on this show, um, this father's day, I have older children and none of them play golf. Um, but for father's day, the gift that they gave me was we were going to go out and play golf with you. And so I have three kids. Mm-hmm. We made a natural foursome. And, uh, and just getting to see them like the first time they strike up, like they struggle all day, right? They can't get the ball in the air, the whole thing. Um, but that for that one time that they get one, right. And it's just their eyes light up and you get to see that all the time. That's gotta be so great. It is so great. Yes. You, you nailed it. That is when you first see someone hit a shot and they, they turn around and look at you with their eyes open and their mouth open (laughs) and and just the, the excitement. Yeah. It's, it's, it's real. So, Let's talk about Pine Ridge Golf Course a little bit. And how big is Paris, Texas? Paris, Texas, uh, the city itself, which is kind of inside of a loop, is, is 25,000. If you go okay. just outside of the loop, it's another 25. So it's really 50,000, population of 50,000. Pretty small. Okay. And four years ago, you decided to buy a golf course. Yes. So walk me through how <laughs> that happened and what, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, obviously a pretty big investment, but, but yeah, how does that work? Like, how does that happen? Well, um, we don't, so this is, you don't, we don't get a visual on this, but I, but I always say, I know what you're thinking. Hmm. She doesn't look crazy. <laughs> uh, well, I have to go back several years to really talk about, um, where this all began, uh, in 1988, think of, you know, how many years ago that was and the environment mm-hmm. and all that. I took a seminar on how to buy a golf course. So wow. that's how long I've been thinking. <laughs> Someday I'm going to buy my own golf course. And so, and so then my career starts. And I, as you said, I've had all these really cool dream jobs, really. And, uh, and you know, it's going along, going along. And, and I'm with Club Corp and I'm driving to a golf course we just bought that the company just bought. And I'm okay. talking to one of my friends, old friends, and you know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm driving to this golf course. Hey, when I buy my golf course, this is exactly the kind of golf course I want to buy. I'm telling my friend this story, <laughs> you know, a little clubhouse, big driving range, very player friendly. And my friend says, you have been telling me you're going to buy a golf course for the 20 years that I have known you. When are you going to actually buy a golf course? And so that was like, 
honestly, the catalyst that said, you know what? That is a true statement. Yeah. I called a broker the next week and started looking. Wow. And, and so, you know, it was just time. It was time in my career and everything fell into place. And that was just the reminder I needed. And uh, it took a while to find the one I wanted. And, um, you know, I started, I spent a lot of time in Florida and, and Texas. And so I was looking all through the Southeast and through Texas and, and uh, about an hour and a half from where I was living at the time in Dallas, this, this golf course popped up on my radar and, and I had very low expectations and I thought, oh, I'll go look at it. So one Saturday afternoon I came out here and as soon as I pulled in, as soon as I parked in the spot that overlooks the golf course, I thought, this is the one. That's really? So what was it about Pine Ridge that, that grabbed you? It was, it, it was all those things. It was, um, the clubhouse was, you know, I always said we, we built clubhouses too big for the demand, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that before there was a demand, but the, 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 the clubhouse the driving range was right on top of the clubhouse. It was a big driving range. It was, um, a small enough as 5,800 yards from the back tee. It was small enough that it was very player friendly, but when you pull up and you get right behind the first, the tee that you pull right behind is number 10. And it's just a beautiful piece of property. It's just a hundred acres um, in rural Texas, and it's a really beautiful piece of property. And then the then the demographics fell into place, and then the financials fell into place, and um, and the and the best thing of all is that there's not another public golf course in a thirty mile radius of my golf oh, course. Wow. So that was a big benefit. And, yeah. And I had some of my industry experts, some of my good friends that advised me against it for a variety of reasons. <laughs> But I did it anyway. <laughs> Best decision you've ever made? Best decision I've ever made. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So what what was the when you when you bought it and then you were, you know, you you woke up the next morning and you're officially a golf course owner and you, <laughs> yeah. you head over to the golf course. What what was the first thing that you started to kind of work on? Was it was it like I I don't know, like how you even start owning a golf course? Was it a maintenance thing or was it did you have a vision of what you wanted it to eventually be? Like what were the first steps there to kind of making it yours and putting your kind of fingerprints on it? Well, well, the first thing when I, when I knew we were closing and, you know, we're the process of once you sign the contract and then there's, you know, still a lot sure. of time between that and actually closing on it. I formed a little task force from members that were already there. And, and honestly, oh, that's um, great. there are no, there were no women playing. So I had to ask the current golfers, that, hey, if I want to add two women to this task force, who used to play here? And so they gave me the name of a, of a couple of females. We had, we had a six-person task force, and I had some young people on it, you know, some of the seniors, a couple of women, and, and we started talking about what would make this place a place you'd want to come play and new people would want to come play. And we started just making lists of stuff we wanted to do. Um, the very first wow. thing was to create an environment where people felt wel- welcome, Um where we, they, they knew when they walked in the door that we were glad to see them. And, and, um, it was the same person owned it for 35 years and it had started obviously be neglected and not just in the golf course, not just in the clubhouse, but in the service and then, mm-hmm. um, the environment that was being created. So, so my, my three main things right away were create a better environment. I renovated the clubhouse uh, pretty quickly. So within the first 60 days, there was a newly renovated clubhouse. Um, and then tees and greens, <laughs> greens starting yeah. with, and then, and then tees and then kind of go from there. So, so they could immediately see that, um, that we cared, you know, that we, that we cared about their experience and, and the greens were uh, frankly, so in, in such, um, disarray that, that we were able to bring them back pretty quickly. I closed, um, April 4th. And so it was the spring, it's starting to grow. We were, you know, baby in the greens along. We were putting some, you know, fertilizer and some seed and things that they mm-hmm. hadn't seen done for a long time. We, you know, aerified them twice that year and they, I don't know if they'd been aerified for years and years. So, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just the overall kind of following the plan of the experience, the environment, and the greens. <laughs> yeah. And finally, you've got Diane Knox, Knoxie, the, the big sister of the little brother, Russell Knox. Uh, and one of my very favorite conversations, she was so much fun. I believe she was in a car 
en route to Pittsburgh, maybe. She wasn't driving, but she was riding shotgun next to her boyfriend. And, uh, and we had a lot of fun talking about her accent and her American accent and how she got into kind of the, the media side of the golf world uh, and how she came over to the United States, all that kind of good stuff. And then we finally do close the, the conversation with her own golf origin story, which to me anyways was a bit of a surprise. It was, it was, I don't know what I expected. Maybe I just assumed some things considering who her brother was, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's fun and it's very different. And, uh, and she's very honest about some things around golf, which I really appreciate. So let's listen to my conversation, a part of my conversation with Diane Knox. My American accent, oh my god, my boyfriend's sitting beside me right now, he's American, <laughs> he's cringing for me right now. Um, no, I'm terrible. The funny thing is, his name is Garrett, alright? So oh, I yeah. say that, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, but I say it, Garrett. And if I try to do it in an American accent, I'm like, Garrett, and he's like, why do you say it so funny like that? <laughs> I feel like so, you just turned into a Midwesterner, like when you yeah. said Garrett that way, you sounded like you're from like Minnesota or something. Yeah, there, there was one day that this um, we were actually at a driving range and this lady had said we were chatting away he, Garrett was hitting and she was like oh what's your boyfriend's name and I said Garrett and she's like what and I said Garrett and she's like no I don't got it I'm like oh no 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 his name is Garrett <laughs> but the funny thing is my dad's American people don't really know this but my dad is from San Diego California really he moved to Scotland yay um, and he lived there for 30 odd years. So I've always had, I mean, the American accent around me, but I am atrocious at doing it. <laughs> so how did you, okay, so how did you go from Scotland back here? Was it, did your family come back or how did you end up in Florida? Yeah, well, I lived in Scotland my whole life and my dad was there, obviously. And my brother, who... I'm sure you know who he is. Right. Um, well, I refer he, to him as Diane Knox's brother. Thank you. He I doesn't really have that. like, yeah, right. Because he is younger than me. So I hate being known as Russell's sister because I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm two years older than him. So um, he was coming over to the US to go to college to do his golf scholarship. So that was in 2003. And then because my dad's obviously from here he always said that one day he was going to move back to the states and I think when he married my mom it was like that was the deal so mm -hmm. 2005 they were going to move to California but they loved Jacksonville where Russell was at college so they moved to Jacksonville in 2005 and then I was just getting started in my career at the time and thought you know I, I probably need to stay and like have a run at this and just see what happens I was starting work at a radio station and um, I'm glad I did, but in 2016, I just thought, you know, I'm at the stage where, like, you know, I need to make a decision about what I'm going to do with my life. My, yeah. I wanted a bit of a change in my career, and they were all here, so I thought, listen, I don't want to spend my life away from my whole entire family. Great things were happening in Russell's career, and I thought I th would like to maybe just make the move and be done with it. So with my dad being American, I had dual nationality, and that made the transition much easier. So you got into radio... In the States, were you doing radio in Scotland too? You came over and you started doing kind of the broadcasting stuff here. Yeah, Is well, I, I, I got into radio because I did media at college, at university, and okay. then just started at a radio station. I was like the general dog's body, like unpaid, making cups <laughs> of tea for people and like yeah. doing any job that they would give me. And yeah, so I worked in radio for, oh my gosh, was it? 12 years before I moved here. I say things sometimes and I'm like, am I really wow. that old? But yeah, so I, radio was really all I did in the UK. I did a little bit of TV towards the end and got into kind of sports hosting. And then I thought when I moved to the US, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, I'll work in Starbucks. I'll like <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. So um, yeah, I didn't really have too much of a plan. But yeah, radio was what I was kind of like, that was my first passion. Okay. Now, there's a lot of broadcasters that I like. So I, I played around in radio in college and um, I, you know, I know a lot of people that I worked with were trying to actually become sort of a regional neutral voice. So yeah. do, you, do you think you've lost some of your 
accent. I know like I have a friend from Ireland who he still, I mean, he, he, he has an accent and you would tell me that he has an accent. He's like, I don't have an accent anymore. I've totally lost it. So do you feel oh. like you've, you've left some of it behind being in, in the States now? I don't think so. It's funny because, you know, obviously a lot of my social following are still in Scotland and they'll say things to me like, oh my gosh, you don't sound Scottish anymore. You sound American. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and I, I would, I'd never want to lose my accent. You know, I just think that like, no matter what, I want to keep that because it's my identity, but I'll even do things for like our, the podcast that I do over here or um, anything that I do, I'll listen back and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I sound overly Scottish in that. So I think probably the opposite. <laughs> I think I'm trying so hard to retain it <laughs> that um, I don't think I've lost it at all. And my, but- I always ask my best friends and my family and stuff and um, in Scotland and they're like, no way, like you sound exactly the same. <laughs> it's just, just say Inverness when you feel well, like see, you're losing it and, and then yeah. you'll be back. But I was born in Inverness in right. Scotland. So we, <laughs> so last week the LPGA tournament was at Inverness Golf Club. So I had to say that on a podcast a few times and I was like, oh my gosh, say don't say Inverness. <laughs> so let's get into kind of your golf origin story. So how did you end up, I mean, you obviously love this sport. So where did that happen? And and to the point where now you talk about it basically, I don't know, 18 hours a day, it seems, in front yes. of a camera or a microphone. So where, where did this start? The funny thing is, is that I used to hate golf and I'm not even <laughs> joking with that. I really hated it. And it was because, well, my brother plays on tour now, fine, but he loved golf his whole life. So as a kid... I think my parents, my dad loved golf too. My dad's like loves sport. So I think they saw from a very early age that Russell was going to be good at this and that could probably turn it into a career. So, I mean, our family just dedicated so much time to golf that I was like, I just hate this. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't play. I had no interest in playing. I didn't want to do what my brother was doing. Then when we would spend like weekends at the golf club and, anytime we went anywhere where there was a golf shop we would be in there for hours and I (laughs) when I passed my driving test I had to drive him to tournaments at like six o'clock in the morning and it was just it consumed the family so much that I was like I want nothing to do with this (laughs) (laughs) but then I think as his career progressed of course it's something that we were so excited about and then just I think organically my golf knowledge kind of grew from that and I realized like even if I don't want to get very good at playing this game and I I, I do play but gosh by no means am I good but I think my knowledge just grew so much and then my passion for it in that sense grew and when I saw that I could kind of like marry that with my career and experience that I'd had I was like this is perfect so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it took a long time for me to fall in love with golf, for sure. But being from Scotland, <laughs> when yeah. you move to the US, everyone's like, even if they don't know anything about you, they're like, oh my gosh, you're from Scotland, you love golf? Right. <laughs> like, well, now I do. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's really interesting. That's mm-hmm. I could I can I could totally see that too. Like, as as a non golfer, just being like, come on, it's you know, let's do something else, no, anything else. Takes forever. It's like, and it's better now, but still a little bit stuffy in places. But it was like, well, I can't wear jeans to go into the clubhouse. Like, what is this? You know, and um, yeah, I just had no interest at all. But I love, I think, like, I'm so fascinated by the sport now because I love the mental side of the sport. So, like, you don't have to be the best athlete, like traditional athlete, to be good at golf. Mm-hmm. I know that things are maybe moving in that direction when you look at like Bryson and what he's doing now. And <laughs> yeah. Everything's about speed and distance, it seems. But I just love the fact that you have to, the like the mental game is so big and so important. And I think that that just fascinates me. Yeah. And there's just so much to the game that's outside of I mean, mm-hmm. even just playing it, right? Like if you're involved in it the way that you are, you get to see the the personalities involved and the people involved. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're out in nature and, and all those kinds of things. And I think, you know, it really, if you look at it, it, it was probably a mismatch for you anyways, considering, like you said, where you're from, who your family was and things like that. But then, yeah. you know, it really opens, like there's so much more than just, you know, playing the game, really. Mm-hmm. And there's so few sports where you are by yourself 
for that mm-hmm. length of time. Like, cool, you're okay, you're playing tennis, but like it's it's so fast paced and like your thoughts have to come to you like immediately. But when you're playing golf, you have a lot of time really to think about what you're gonna do next. So like you hit your tee shot, cool, but then you have that walk where you're like by yourself strategizing. Or are you strategizing? Do you have to like blank it out completely? And then you have your caddy, cool. But like, what are you using your caddy for? Or yeah, like your your coach at the end of the round, like what are you doing with them? How does that help you internally? So yeah, I think it's just like a fascinating sport in that sense. So there you have it. The very first golf origin stories from the archives. Uh, hopefully you liked it. Hopefully, you know, the changing of stories and mixing it up a little bit was relatively entertaining. Uh, for those that have already heard those interviews, may or maybe it reminded you of a couple of good conversations that you listened to a year ago. Um, or if you're new to the show, you can go back and listen to the full episodes. I promise you each one of them is, is pretty fun. They're pretty entertaining. The thing that I really do appreciate every time I have, uh, you know, a woman on the show and not that, you know, men aren't thoughtful and purposeful and things, but I just really appreciate their perspective on things. They never tend to say, take themselves too seriously, which I think to be honest, us men have a tendency to do sometimes. Um, but they just, I don't know. And they, and their appreciation for the game and their appreciation of what it means to them and what it means to others, uh, it's just, I don't know. I really enjoy it. Uh, not to get on too much of a soapbox, but Hey, you know, it's women's history month and damn it. I think it's important that we, we take some time to listen to their stories. And, and if that means, you know, I pull some old interviews out and, and put them back up into the forefront, then, um, maybe it'll make a difference here or there. And, and it'll introduce you to someone or hear a story, uh, you know, that we can take away and do something as well. Uh, with them. So that's the show. Okay. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. I really, really, really appreciate all the women that have come on the show, Cassie, uh, Kathy, Diane. I mean, they're just so great. And, um, and I think, you know, maybe I'll do it one more time this month in March. Um, or, you know, maybe I'll tuck it away for another time. But, uh, but I actually kind of enjoy doing these because I can go back and listen and be reminded even myself of how fun these conversations were and, uh, and how much I appreciate them. So, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show, uh, leave a review, always very appreciative. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll see you next week. Maybe I have yet another twist in the journey that is golf origin stories in the month of March, AKA women's history month. So definitely subscribe pay attention. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris McEwen and on Instagram at Chris McEwen and on YouTube at Chris McEwen. And that's it. Let's say goodbye and uh, finish it off with Pink closing it out. See you, everybody.